Welcome to the Russian Rulers Podcast, Episode 25, Alexis I and Fyodor III. Last week, we saw the beginning of the dawn of the age and dynasty of the Romanovs, and the crushing of the possibility of freedom for the majority of the people of Russia by imposing laws that made millions of citizens serfs, or slaves of the landowners. Now bound to the farms they toiled on from childhood until death, they were very much like the African-American slaves of the 17 and 1800s in the United States, third-class people with little or no rights and no futures. Michael Romanoff was dead, and his son Alexis was crowned Tsar at the tender age of 16, which meant he needed a guardian to help him rule. Before he died, Michael named Boris Morozov, a boyar, to be that person. Some historians agree that Michael could not have made a worse choice. Morozov was a thief, stealing whatever and whenever he wanted. Corruption of this scale was incredible. But he was a shrewd man as well, and not only did he act as a surrogate father to Alexis, he married the sister of Alexis's first wife, Maria Milosklovskaya. It is July 1645, and young Alexei was coronated Tsar, just as his father before him, after being confirmed by a national assembly, the Zemsky Sobor. Known to history as the Quiet One, his 30-year reign would see wars with Poland and Sweden, and a number of troubling internal uprisings that would threaten the fabric of society, if not the health of the growing nation. While during Michael Romanov's reign, there were lingering doubts about his and his family's legitimacy as absolute rulers of Russia. There was no such issue with Alexis. Although going through the death of both his father and mother one month apart, Morozov acted as a caring stepfather to him, as well as giving him solid advice, especially when it came to foreign affairs. It is during Alexis's reign that Western European influences began to infiltrate the court, much to the dismay of old-time conservatives. Tsar Alexis was fascinated with all things Western, like art, architecture, music, and clothing. He even started schools teaching Latin, Greek, and astronomy. But while he started the westernization of Russia, which would be accelerated by his son Peter I, and then subsequently by Catherine the Great, he was very much a Russian. He was considered a deeply religious man, hence his image as being extremely pious. His knowledge of orthodoxy was the equal of any priest in the land. Then, in 1646, likely through the advice of his advisor Moritzov, he signed a law that sealed the fate of millions of peasants by removing the time limit for a landowner to reclaim a fugitive peasant. Boris Gudunov had made the time limit five years. Michael Romanov extended it first ten years, then fifteen, but Alexei made it a lifetime. This now made serfdom the equivalent of slavery in all but name. The difference between the slavery in America in the 18th and 19th century and Russian serfdom was who the slaves were. The Americans imported their slaves. The Russians enslaved their own people. A small number of people cruelly subjugated their own kind and bound them and their children and all future generations to the land they toiled on. The two largest holders of slaves slaves was disturbingly the state and the Russian Orthodox Church. Duffy and Ricci put it best in their book, SARS, when they said, quote, This enslavement of most of the population by a privileged minority not only caused unrest throughout the nation, it corrupted Russia's very core 
by making its society dependent on a system in which abuse and suffering were routine. Alexei's reign was pockmarked with a number of uprisings, like the first major one in May of 1648. One of Morozov's utterly corrupt henchman, Nazarius Chistoy, who was the Secretary of State at the time, increased the tax on salt by 400%. Salt was a critical commodity at the time, as it was used to preserve meat and especially fish. With a great dependence on fish and its transport for sale, you can see how this drastic of an increase would have some up in arms. It's been said that one of the main reasons for this is because Morozov himself was pillaging the uh, the uh, treasury of Russia to such a degree that it was bankrupt and they needed to increase taxes. A crowd confronted the Tsar about this and his group of advisors asking Alexei, please repeal the tax. Alexei agreed to review the petition, but some of his advisors, fearing for their lives, began to whip the people, which incited the people to riot, killing a number of their tormentors, with one being, said Nazarios Chistoy. From there, things got downright ugly. Riots broke out in Moscow and then a half a dozen other cities. It wasn't until Alexei himself signed a general amnesty that things calmed down. Because of this, though, he was forced to exile his friend Borisov, but he kept corresponding with him for many, many years. Out of the riots, the first new code of laws in almost 100 years was introduced, called the Code of 1649. It was supposed to treat all the citizens the same, but in reality, it was targeted as the at the peasants, as only they could be flogged, which in that time was often lethal. The next riot to break out was in 1662, when the silver coins that were used in trade and commerce were debased by adding copper to them, which wiped out many a person's savings, further depressing the peasant ranks. The riots were violent and were met with equal violence from the military. Alexei's reign did have a number of positive events, such as the war with Poland, which allowed Russia to reclaim the Ukraine, the seat of Kievan Rus. Along with Kiev, Russia annexed the oft-fought-after town of Smolensk. Now, this opportunity came about at the behest of the Ukrainian Cossacks, led by their hetman, or chief, Bogdan Kilimanetsky. They were battling the now-weakened Polish army with Tartar allies, but their friends abandoned them when bribed by the new Polish king, John II Kazmir. Kilimanetsky petitioned the Tsar, quote, our desire is to have a sovereign autocrat, an orthodox Christian Tsar such as your majesty, to rule our land. If your majesty will only attack Poland without delay, we shall be ready to serve your Tsarish majesty, together with the entire Zaporoshan Cossack host. The Cossacks were a formidable force who wanted to stay independent, but they knew that only orthodox Russia could be trusted to help against the Catholic Poles. Alexis and Kimilinitsky signed an agreement whereby a guaranteed 60,000 Cossacks would be considered free and the Cossacks could be remain semi-autonomous. By annexing the Ukraine, Alexis gained immeasurable stature to many in Russia. We now move to the canonical crisis which started in 1652 when Metropolitan Nikon of Novgorod was appointed Patriarch of the Russian Orthodox Church. Alexis soon thereafter named Nikon Veliki Gozudar, or Great Sovereign, which elevated the Patriarch to a position equal in power to the Tsar, 
just like his father Michael had done with his father Patriarch Philaret. What Nikon did next was to cause the only schism in Russian Orthodox history to occur. Nikon had felt that errors had crept into the Church's religious texts, and he set about correcting them. This enraged a number of conservative clergymen called the Roskoloniki, or Old Believers. Nikon changed the use of two fingers to make the sign of the cross to three fingers to represent the Holy Trinity of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The Roskoloniki were led by a firebrand of a priest, Father Avakum, who became infuriated, and they went so far as to accuse Alexei and Nikon as being the Antichrist. Avakum was a charismatic priest we know much about, as his autobiography is a classic in Russian literature. Ryazanovsky, the noted Russian historian, comments on this peculiar movement led by Avakum when he said, quote, It was in an important sense the opposite of the Reformation in the West. Christians turned against their ecclesiastical authorities because they wanted changes. In Russia, believers revolted because they refused to accept even minor modifications of the traditional religious usage. Thousands of old believers who were convinced that the end of the world was upon them burned themselves in mass, self-emoliating frenzies throughout Russia. Avakum himself was sent into exile, brought back, before being burned at the stake. Nikon went on a building frenzy from here, erecting the Cathedral of the Twelve Apostles, founding three new monasteries as well. But his poor diplomatic skills and his attempt to overreach his power led to his downfall, where in April of 1666, he stood trial before a council, which said, quote, Out of his own caprice, of his own will, without the permission of his majesty the Tsar, without the approval of a council, and without anyone hounding him, he quitted the ecumenical and apostolic church and rejected the patriarchate. He was exiled and forced to live out the remainder of his life as a monk. Now, this is important, as this power struggle between Nikon and Alexei ended, and it brought about a change in the relationship between the church and the state. The state was now no longer beholden to the church, which allowed future tsars, especially Peter the Great, to make wholesale reforms without interference. In Alexei's personal life, his first wife, Maria Miloslavskaya, gave birth to 13 children, four boys, nine girls. The majority died early in early childhood, and the two boys who survived, Ivan and Fyodor, were very sickly. Alexis was concerned about the succession, so when his wife died during childbirth, he remarried the much younger and beautiful Natalia Narushkina, who bore him three children, Peter, Natalia, and Fyodora. Of Peter, we shall hear much about in the very near future. On September 1st, 1674, Alexis did something to solidify the Romanov dynasty. He presented his son Fyodor as his anointed heir. The people cheered and they gave their overwhelming support to this selection. It was very crafty because by doing this, Alexis bypassed the Zemsky Sobor that both he and his father were elevated to the throne by. No Romanov ever had to get approval from the people again. In his many years of rule, Alexis fought the Poles and the Swedes. He gained the lands of the Ukraine, and he solidified the autocratic rule of the Tsar over all, especially over the church. 
He sealed the fate of millions of peasants, relegating them and future generations to serfdom and slavery. He began the slow transformation of Russia into a more westernized one, but not by force, but by his introduction of Western thought to his children, especially to a young boy with a thirst for said knowledge. In 1670, a threat came from the south in the form of a revolt led by a man named Stenka Razin, a freebooting raider who gained riches stealing from Persia. He led a ragtag band of brigands against cities along the Volga, freeing serfs, killing landowners, and proclaiming that he would take down the autocratic rule of the Tsars. The army he would put together would rise to over 20,000, but it was too disorganized to defeat the better-trained Muscovite troops. By 1671, he was captured and executed, and the rebellion was crushed. We're going to see in the future podcasts, this was one of many different uh, uprisings. And there would be others like Pugachev who would come up and would use the Stenka Razin Rebellion as a model. In 1676, Tsar Alexis I died. He had ruled over a land that was now a staggering 2 billion acres, larger than the Roman Empire at its peak. Now his 14-year-old son, Fyodor, would assume the throne. Fyodor was an extremely bright boy, learned of many languages, but he was also very sickly, possibly having suffered from the effects of scurvy, leaving him horribly disfigured and partially paralyzed. He had two close advisors, Ivan Yazikov and Alexei Likachev, who helped him run the country. The Tsar continued bringing in Western ideas and knowledge streaming into Russia, despite numerous protestations. He massively reformed the military along Western European lines. Fyodor then abolished the Mestitsnitschu system, which gave hereditary rights to administrative and military appointments. He had all the books that ranked and listed all the nobles burned to leave no records of their names. The Tsar made sure that his half-brother Peter, who he had a good relationship with, had a good European education, but that had to be done away from Moscow, as Peter and his mother were not court favorites, especially by his older sister Sophia. He was spirited away to the town of Probrozhnyskoy, miles away from Moscow. This was to be a blessing for the young Peter, who was only four when his father died. Then, on April 27, 1682, at the very young age of 20, Fyodor III died, leaving no apparent heir to the throne. Next week, we delve into the regency of Sophia, the elevation of the two brothers, Ivan and Peter, to the throne, and the palace intrigue that surrounded the two boys and their dominating sister. Now to this week in Russian history for the week of October 24th through the 30th. In 1759, Maria Fyodorovna, also known as Sophia Dorothea of Württemberg, a Russian empress, was born. In 1795, the Polish-Lithuanian Commonwealth is completely divided between Austria, Prussia, and Russia. In 1812, you have the Napoleonic Wars. The Battle of Maloyarslavitz takes place near Moscow. In 1821, famous Fyodor Dostoevsky, the great Russian writer, is born. In 1905, Tsar Nicholas II of Russia grants Russia's first constitution, creating a legislative assembly. 
1917 traditionally understood date of the October Revolution involving the capture of the Winter Palace in Petrograd, Russia. And 1961, because of, quote, violations of Lenin's precepts, it is decreed that Joseph Stalin's body be removed from its place of honor inside Lenin's tomb and buried near the Kremlin Wall with a plain granite marker instead. One year later, in the Cuban Missile Crisis, Soviet Union leader Nikita Khrushchev announces that he had ordered the removal of the Soviet missile bases in Cuba, thus ending the Cuban Missile Crisis. Well, I hope you enjoyed today's podcast. Don't forget to visit the iTunes App Store and download the Russian Rulers app. And please visit the websites at russianrulers.podhoster.com. Become a Facebook friend at Russian Rulers History Podcast. Please ask a question, make suggestions, leave a comment. And as always, das vidanya i spasiba bolshoya.